0: Welcome, I'm Anastasia Glova bringing you the Cato Daily Podcast. Full and edited versions of our podcasts are available on our website at www.cato.org. A front-page New York Times article last week asserted that, after accounting for inflation, the median hourly wage for American workers has declined 2% since 2003. The article echoed concerns that, while the well-off continue to prosper, lower-wage workers are losing out in the American economy. Cata Policy Analyst Will Wilkinson disagrees with these claims. Do you take issue with the claims made by Stephen Greenhouse and David Leonhardt in the New York Times?
1: Well, yeah, I do. I take issue with the whole article, in fact, partly because I think it's just substandard economics journalism, and they have a special responsibility to present economic news as clearly as possible to the reading public. This was a page one above the fold article with a prominent headline, Real Wages Fail to Match Rise in Productivity, and they give it a very heavy political significance. But the article is simply misleading. The numbers that they look at at the beginning of the article, uh, which is the part that people read, is for money compensation to workers in isolation from their benefits. But total compensation, their money wages plus benefits, is the relevant measure. In a blog post at Cafe Hayek, George Mason economist Russ Roberts directs us to a Bureau of Labor Statistics graph that shows that real hourly compensation, that's wages and benefits in the non-farm business sector, shows that Real compensation, total compensation, has increased every year since the recession in 2001, and it's up dramatically this year. Second, I take issue with a lack of good sourcing in the article. The authors attribute the dark state of affairs that they're trying to create a picture of in the article. The picture that they're trying to create is a a world in which labor is getting an ever smaller share of the surplus from economic growth. And they attribute that dire set of circumstances to, among other things, a decline in the power of trade unions, but they cite no real source for that. And as far as I can tell, that view isn't even close to the consensus in the economics profession. The only economist that they actually do quote in the article is Jared Bernstein of the Economic Policy Institute, which is largely an organ of the labor unions. So it's fine to quote a partisan or ideological expert, but they should have had at least someone else to balance out his views.
0: But they didn't ignore the issue of compensation completely. In fact, they write that the value of workers' benefits has also failed to keep pace with inflation.
1: Well, that's interesting. Uh, What I'll draw your attention to now is an article that's in the paper today uh, by uh, David Leonhardt, one of the authors of Monday's article. This you won't find on the front page of The Times. You can find basically a correction of the previous article in Page C4 of, you know, that's the business section in an article called uh, Economy Grew Faster Than Expected. And they say total compensation, including employee health benefits, which have risen in value in recent years, equaled 57.1% of the economy. That's a whole percentage point higher than the 56.1% that they cited in Monday's article, down from 59.8% in 1970 as if 1970s a relevant comparison. But they do mention here, now still compensation makes up a larger share of the economy than it did throughout the 1950s and early 60s, as well as during parts of the mid-1990s and the last couple of years. Right, So they kind of bury the point, which is that total compensation has actually increased over the last several years. The whole premise of the very dire article on Monday was that it had gone down and that things are getting worse for workers, when in fact... Once they looked at the data more carefully, they've actually seen that it's going up as well.
0: Are you saying that in Monday's article, Greenhouse and Leonhardt used the wrong data to arrive at their conclusions?
1: I'm not actually sure uh, what accounts for the difference between the 56.1 percent of the economy going to total compensation. the 57.1% that they cite today, I don't know what the divergence comes from. It might have been that they were looking at preliminary figures on Monday, and the final report came out later, and they had to revise those figures. Or maybe they were just looking at the wrong column of numbers. I'm not sure.
0: How do wage increases for lower-income workers compare with wage growth for the top, say, 10% of income earners?
1: Incomes have grown more at the top of the income scale than at the bottom. Now I want to point out a problem that I have with this entire way of reporting on the economy and looking at these so-called distributional issues. The picture that you get from articles like this is that each year the economy grows a little bit. So last year it was this big. This year it's this much bigger. And then there's a question about how we're going to divide up that surplus from the previous year as if there's a giant pile of gold in the basement of the treasury that is getting divided between the upper-income deciles and the lower-income deciles, and there's some obvious injustice if the wages at the top of the income distribution rise faster than at the bottom, or if the share of economic growth that goes to labor is smaller than the share that's going to capital over time. But that's really the wrong way to look at it. These overall... Percentages are an emergent factor. They bubble up from lots of individual transactions. When somebody takes a job and signs a labor contract with an employer, they have agreed to certain terms of exchange. Their exchange creates a surplus from cooperation, and the way that that surplus is divided has already been accounted for by their agreement that both parties consented to. If somebody has a problem with the way the division looks like it went at the macro level, that probably means that they have a problem with the way individuals were making agreements on the micro level. But if the individuals each were happy with their labor contracts, then there's really no additional issue about the distribution at the macro level. Bernstein's point in the Monday article was that he thinks that the bargaining power of workers is getting weaker. The uh, authors seem to just take that on its face as something that might be true. But they give no evidence for that. The bargaining power of workers has to do with the number of alternatives, how tight the labor market is. If people look for better jobs, if there's lots of different alternatives, and there are, we've got a very competitive labor market, then there's very little reason to believe that workers have too little bargaining power and that they're getting the short end of the stick in labor negotiations.
0: This has been Cato Daily Podcast. Thank you for listening.